someone has already done and is already doing what you want to do. And no, they didn't fall into a rich family to do so. They were not born lucky. You know you can be more. You can have more. Do more. And be more. You know this. You wouldn't be listening otherwise. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Millennial Market Talk, and I am your host, Mark Jones, and this is the podcast where we aim to inspire and empower, not entitle. And today we have a special guest who is Blanca Abood. How are you, Blanca? Hi, I'm doing great. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, and in the spirit of changing stuff up, mixing it up a little bit, we're going to do the beginning a little different. Um, as I was mentioning, the last couple of episodes went um, pretty fun because we started this way. So I'm going to start with a little millennial trivia. All right. Find out how millennial you are. Okay? <laughs> I'm excited. Let's check it out. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Here we go. So starting right out the gates, number one, and there's 10 questions, by the way. Oh, okay? wow. <laughs> Number one, what was the most memorable song by the group Hanson? Oh, gosh. Doo-wop. Close. No? Oo-wop or something? Close. Oh, gosh. Maybe singing, it'll come to you. I'm not sure. Mm-bop. Oom-bop. <laughs> I was super close. I should get points for that. I agree. That was pretty close. I'll, Oom-bop. I'll give you that okay. one. Let's see here. Here's number two. <laughs> Told you. Number two, movie quote. Um, this one time at band camp from what movie? American Pie. Nailed it. Okay. So you're two for two. Let's see here. <laughs> if you are rolling down the street, smoking Indo, what mm -hmm. are you sipping on? Gin and juice. Oh, laid back. <laughs> yes. Okay. That one was easy. Hanson or what? That one was hard. <laughs> that one was hard. <laughs> okay. So here's number four. You're three for three right now. Okay. Which is better than most. All right. Far. I'm excited. Okay. Uh, name one of Kim and Kanye West's children's name. One of them. North. Perfect. Nailed it. Can you name any of the others? No. I couldn't either. I had to look them up. Saint, Chicago, and Psalm, Palm. Mm. Oh, God. Yeah, Whoa. that's okay. <laughs> Keep on rolling. Four for four. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this one might throw you off, okay? Right. Movie quote. I see dead people. Oh, The Sixth Sense. Dang, you're killing it. Okay, okay. you nailed it. Okay. Um, let's see here. Number six, name of the teddy bear with the cassette tape in its chest. Ted. Nope. With a cassette Think of the tape? teddy bear when we were growing up. Oh, oh my goodness. The little teddy bear. Roxbin? Oh, think? oh. Rocks. Teddy Roxbin? You nailed it. Yeah. Teddy Roxbin. Who all remembers that? <laughs> oh if you're listening God. in your car or in the shower or wherever you are. I can't even believe I remembered it. Wow. <laughs> wherever you're listening right now, take yourself back to Teddy Ruxpin. <laughs> Funny story. <laughs> I think it was my one-year-old little birthday party. I have pictures of me. My mom made a Teddy Ruxpin outfit for me. Wow. So, I know. I said Ted. Well, Ted like is movie, relevant. Right? I was like, Ted? That's awesome. But Teddy, that that made sense. You're six took, for six, by there. the way. I'm Here an overachiever. <laughs> so number seven, the symbol that famously is known as the hashtag. What did you call it when you were a child? The pound. The pound, the pound sign. That's pound exactly sign. right. Number seven, good deal. So number eight, who was the host of MTV's Total Request Live or known TRL? 
Oh my gosh, I know this guy. Oh, Dean, Matt, uh, Matt Dean, <laughs> Matt final, Damon. Final, and- Matt oh Damon. God. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no. Hold on, hold on. Oh, um, Carlson, Car, oh. <laughs> Three, two. I don't know. Carson Daly. Carson. Carson Daly. <laughs> you were so close. Oh, I know. Okay. That was a hard one. Let's Whoa. see here. I might stump you on this one too. Okay. Your Nintendo isn't working. Crisis. What is the first thing that you do? Uh, you take the cassette out and you blow in it. <laughs> you Hello. nailed it. Yes, everybody knows. Whoever doesn't it. know that one. <laughs> That's awesome. <fired. laughs> so thus far, you've gotten one wrong out of nine. We've got the tenth and final question. Right? Okay. The national average of student loan debt is under is a under thirty billion. B over 1.6 trillion or C under 1.56 trillion over 1.6 trillion that is correct so you are 90% millennial and one of the uh most millennial guests i've had thus far uh the closest was an 80 so uh, it says a lot about you thank you <laughs> of course so now let's get into some real stuff here I'm 90% uh, <laughs> Yeah, 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 like I was wondering how millennial I was, so thank you for... Well, now you know you're 90% millennial you. based on my uh, 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 gauge. Okay, okay thanks. So <laughs> now for our listeners, we want to know who you are. And that being said, um, Blanca is the VP of sales for a company called Engage, and they do PEO. Correct. Blanca, what, what is PEO? What does it stand for? Yeah. So PEO stands for Professional Employer Organization. um, And it's a company that helps small businesses professionally employ their employees in essence. But I have come up with analogies and metaphors to better understand the concept of PEO because I I feel like it could be a daunting concept or it could be um, a lot of people have misconceptions and you know, myths going around about PEOs. So basically what it is, is it's a co-op in a sense where you pull together different companies and you pull together thousands and hundreds of thousands of employees to form economies of scale, to approach carriers on a larger scale for employee benefits and workers' compensation insurance. Originally, it started back in the 80s around workers' compensation, and then it developed and kind of spread through other areas, functional areas in a business. Um, another way to think about it is really the back-end operations of a business. So really everything that you need to operate and function when you have employees. So beginning with payroll, you know, your payroll taxes, your W-2s, onboarding, offboarding, then going to HR. So your policies, your procedures, your strategic HR initiatives, um, your handbook, you know, really the infrastructure. So these these items are the infrastructure of your business and running a business. So payroll, HR. Then you go into now the insurance products, which is employee benefits. And when I talk about employee benefits, which really is my specialty and, and passion and what I like to do, I talk about, um, you know, retaining and attracting talent for your business. And that's really what benefits is, right? So benefits is used to attract and retain And it's part of your compensation package for your employees. And when we do employee benefits, we do a comprehensive look um, at a client. Uh, So whether they're startup or they've already been established for a long time, we really look into, you know, areas that we can save money, make them better, make them more attractive, and then offer them higher end benefits. So a lot of times small businesses can't get the, you know, benefits that a larger corporation can get. So you hear a lot of people say like, oh, I'm just a small little mom and popper. 
I can't, you know, get the benefits that larger companies can get. And pause right there mm-hmm. because I myself am an entrepreneur that owns multiple businesses. And I'm sure there's plenty of listeners out there that have multiple businesses or want to start multiple businesses and don't know the path or don't know that these types of services are available out there. Where is the, uh, I guess, the tipping scale of where mm-hmm. you would need something like this and where you would not and have your own in-house yeah. type situation. Yeah. So we start at 10 employees. Um, that's really where it makes kind of sense. So if you're really under 10 employees, it wouldn't make sense to necessarily hire somebody like us. Um, and a lot of times what we do is for companies that really can't afford having their own HR director or having a full HR department, um, we are their outsource HR department. So we take that role and function within the company. Um, I would say the stopping point, I mean, it could really be anywhere, but 500, I would say probably would be the point where they, some, a company may say, you know what, we're going to have our own HR department, own HR director, and we're going to do this in-house um, and do it efficiently. That, right? And that makes perfect sense. I mean, it sounds like, like you, you can are... do it, but not do it good. <laughs> <laughs> As in anything in life. Yeah, I agree. Exactly. So it sounds like you are the buffer for the in-between. And when I say in-between, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that mm-hmm. as a negative thing. No. It's mm-hmm. like you said, 10 employees to mm-hmm. about 500, because mm-hmm. at the 500, you're now having to develop your own departments mm-hmm. um, and take on those responsibilities yourself as a business owner in a co- company corporation. Correct. Same thing on the other side of the scale, which smaller companies, you could probably still do these things on your own mm-hmm. with 10 employees, but then you run into situations of time management and how much can you use to dedicate your time towards payroll, towards the HR department, towards all of those things that you guys end up covering um, in, in your services, right? That's right. So safe to say that Blanca knows her stuff. If you uh, <laughs> didn't just listen to what she described as what PEO is, who it benefits, um, why it would be used. I mean, that was a great, great description of that. I thank, thank you for that. Um, so diving deeper into what you do in your profession, you know what, before we do that, let's go back. Where'd you come from? So where did I come from? Well, <laughs> that's a long let's story. Let's not go all the way. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, uh, well, I'm born and raised in El Paso, Texas. So everybody knows I represent my hometown of El Paso. Uh, my family originally is from Chihuahua, Chihuahua. Mexico. And she said, this one's for the raza. This is for the raza. Yes, <laughs> for sure. Awesome. Um, so most of my family is still in Mexico and Chihuahua, Chihuahua. And then my my mother's side of the family, my father's side is originally from Lebanon. So I am Mexican and Lebanese, hence my name, Blanca Abud. Um and I moved to El Paso when I was like six. So I actually was born in the United States, but raised in Mexico for a portion of my life and then moved to El Paso and um, grew up, born and raised in El Paso, um, grew up there, went to college there. I went to UTEP, so go Miners. Um, and then right after college, when I graduated, I was 21 and I moved to San Antonio right after college. So, okay. So I want to jump into the college thing here shortly, but before that, I want to talk just super briefly about your upbringing, single family household. What was the, what was it like? What did your parents do so that the listeners have a good perspective of who they're getting this, uh, this Mm -hmm. golden nuggets from? (laughs) Yeah. My family's a traditional, um, Mexican family, um, my father worked. My my father was an entrepreneur. He had several different businesses. Um, he was educated. He um, had a master's degree in accounting and really entrepreneurial spirit, which 
you know, the, the culture of, of Lebanese and even the culture of Mexican culture, which is like hard work, you know, business savvy kind of culture. So that was really my father. My mom is the traditional Mexican housewife, cook, clean, take care of the kids. Um, that's, that was my upbringing. I mean, I, so I was raised predominantly by my, by my mother and that's why I spoke Spanish growing up. Um, and my father was always working. My father was a workaholic working, always trying to learn something new, always trying to learn a new trade, always trying to figure out how to make more money, how to be more successful. So he would work all day. And I remember he would come home and read books until he fell asleep. And and I love that, that you went into depth on that Mm -hmm. because I believe that is something that I want our listeners to hear. A lot of starting out entrepreneurs get caught in this time conflict with, um, balancing family time and work time and play time and all the Mm -hmm. other things. But I wanted to know how that affected you or did it, did it affect you the way that your dad raised you in the sense that he was a workaholic? You said it. Yeah. Workaholic. And when people depict me, they they say, yeah, he's a workaholic. I'm like, me too. I, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'll figure. <laughs> um, well, so it, it does affect a child, right? So even though my parents were married and, and they were together pretty much most of my um, childhood, um, up until I was about 15, 16, so it affects a child in the way that even though your <clears throat> other parent is there, they're not really there, right? Sure. They're not really... They may be physically there, but mentally, emotionally, they're not really there. They're working um, or up late or you don't really get to see them. So my dad barely participated in any type of family gathering event, holiday. that being said, said, did it affect you negatively or did you see that and aspire to jump into those footsteps, if that makes sense? Mm -hmm. I, I would say that it wasn't like aspiring sure, sure. to say I this is what I want to do. I'm um, very similar to my father in a lot of his characteristics I have naturally. So. Okay, so you wouldn't um, you wouldn't say <laughs> like, it's a bad thing in your case. Like him, I guess. So, I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but um, I always I guess it doesn't always, fall too far from yeah, the tree. Really, yeah. I, I always kind of um, you know really dove deep into uh, my studies and my education in school. So okay. I guess that was my wor- way of like being a workaholic, right? So I always like I wanted to study, I wanted to study, I wanted to learn, um, and having that er- like yearning to learn, right? And that was my father. My father always wanted to learn new things, always wanted to try out new things, always wanted to see how much he could know or learn or. So, you know, and I guess in that way, I, I really just focused on my studies growing up and that's like what that. I did. Absolutely. <laughs> so now we can transition to the studies and you going to school. And the, the last question on the trivia was obviously how much we have as a United States in cumulative debt. Um, yeah. And it's obviously a, a lot, a lot. <laughs> with a T. A yeah, lot. <laughs> a lot. For real. Um, so that being said, do you, obviously you wouldn't take back the, the fact that you went to school and you got educated and all that good stuff because it led you to here some way, shape or form. But do you believe that times are changing, so to speak, in regards to information, the ability to seek it out and find what you're looking for, educating yourself versus what the institution provides um, and the accolades that you get. And in addition to that, I'll even take it further and say, would you say, hmm, the amount of folks that are going through college and getting out of college with their degree and not being able to find employment that justifies the amount of student loans, um, 
let me hear on that. Yeah. It wasn't really well, a, a question. Broad, it was just a, yeah. hey, let's talk about some stuff. <laughs> talk about this. Uh, no, I mean, it, this is a very broad topic. So, like, if we want to dissect it from yeah. the beginning, um, I think, yes, times have changed, but um, I feel very strongly about education, like institutional education. Okay. And most people can't and don't have the discipline to educate themselves. Agreed. Like, Agreed. So 100. it doesn't matter, like... You can try to say, oh, I'm going to read this book or I'm going to study this. And unless you really have the passion or the discipline or drive to do it, you're not going to educate yourself. And education never stops. So either, even though I went to college, I have a master's degree, like I still educate myself to this day and I still continue to learn and learn my trade and improve on my skills and improve on the knowledge that I already have. So there's both, you know, school education and then there's experience like life. Right? There's sure. life. There's hands on um, I've always worked through going to college. So I have analyzed that actually just me thinking in the, with the, um, colleagues that I went to school with, some ended up, you know, graduating with their undergrad and then were just lost. I don't know what to do. Just ended up going back to school and just have getting another degree and another degree. And it's like, okay, how many degrees are you going to get before you go and attempt some stuff? That's <laughs> yeah. Right. And so I think there is a difference in the um, college students that work while going to college. I think they get a different feel for college versus the kids that are just like, I'm just going to college and I'm going to college and I'm just going to focus on school and then I will find a job. I think those people tend to fail <laughs> a lot more than the ones that actually work while going to, to school because then you actually have some experience already under your belt. So you have some type of foundation when you graduate. So sure. you have already some type of skills, work experience. And so when you have a degree, you have no work experience and you're trying to get out in the market and trying to market yourself to get a job, it, people are not really going to care. Now, if you have a degree and work experience, then you're really marketable and more desirable to these companies as an employer, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and and me being someone that hires others um, isn't is a degree in my line of work important? Yes and no. Uh, and and I'll go in depth briefly on this. Having the degree shows that you can complete something. It does show that you took the time and you dedicated the hours and you did the work to achieve success mm -hmm. in that aspect. Having the degree does not mean everything was retained, does not mean that you can go and apply it in the workforce. Right. For um, sure. I definitely, just like you said, I, I take experience over having the degree. Now, degree in a specialized field, that's a, I think that's a right. level of a different story. Uh, what is it? A horse of a different color. Yeah. Well, that's right. Like my undergrad is in biology and chemistry. So my biochem degree, did I ever use it? No, not one time ever. Right. But, but the experiences. I mean, well, it was, it's be a honest, very, we're all honest I on got it. one of the hardest degrees. And if I were to do it again, I would not go and get that degree. Okay. If I would have, if I went back and would have told myself like knew what I know now, I would have just gotten a business degree in marketing Okay. and just done that you know, and gone the easy route or not psychology because I'm not a liberal <laughs> arts major, but gotcha. definitely business. Um, but I will say my my graduate degree is completely applicable to what I do every day. And I would never, ever take that experience away. That has been applicable in, in so many uh, facets of what I do professionally. And uh, every time I went to school, I mean, it was like so eye-opening that it was like, wow, this is what I do every day. Like, and I also got a concentration in healthcare administration, which goes hand in hand with what I do. So it just, it, it, 
it was perfect. And so to me, the graduate degree was amazing. Undergrad, yes, a waste of time. I got have the degree. I got it. Great. Never once used it. <laughs> and it was so hard. I remember I did not sleep for days sometimes. I, I believe that. I believe that. It was that. horrible. But the experience <laughs> in itself is is definitely something that is memorable, yeah. long lasting. You wouldn't take back. And I have um, some of my best friends, you know, that I still keep in touch with. So. And that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to anyone to feel like I'm knocking on the degrees. I do tend to ask that question of our guests <laughs> each episode. I want to get different perspective yeah. um, from others that have also been there or not been there and has that essentially um, added, taken away, mm-hmm. regret, any of that mm-hmm. stuff. I want to know about it just so yeah. that we can give these listeners a, a real perspective of how we got yeah. to where we are because you wouldn't be on this show if you weren't a badass. Mm-hmm. You That's know? true. Those are my initials, by the way, B-A. B-A, so, boom. You know. That's awesome. I just, yes. that's awesome. Um, well, I wouldn't, yeah, no, my education didn't like skyrocket my career or anything like that. Uh, I, I feel like the, the MBA gave it a little boost. Sure, sure. You know, but it was not because of that that I'm, I am who I am. Right. Well, how how about the the regiment the level of regiment that you are the, mm-hmm. the the I guess when I look at your content, mm-hmm. both social media, <laughs> YouTube, um, you can magazines, things of that mm-hmm. nature. You're very um, meticulous in the way that you present yourself. You're very meticulous in the way that uh, people are viewing you, and I think that is a strong strong <laughs> attribute to someone. Thank you. Um, being cognizant and aware that they're all looking and regardless of whether you think or, or you care what people think about you, mm-hmm. you do care what pe- how people view you, if that makes sense. Oh, for sure. It's all about presentation and how you present yourself. And I'm very detail orientated and I'm a perfectionist. So I look at every, I believe everything. That. It's like every hair is perfect right now. I'm very organized. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, so that being said, let's dive into, we've already know what PEO is, but I want to know what separates you from the others. There's plenty of other PEO companies out mm-hmm, there, mm-hmm. Um, but there's Definitely. only one Blanca. That's true. So what, what's what's the deal? Well, that is the differentiator. It's me. No. <laughs> um, well, I mean, there's a lot of different things. I, I would say that my level of service and the service that I provide to my clients and my follow through and follow up are, you know at a higher level than most people. And a lot of clients follow me because of my attention to detail and my follow-up and follow-through. And they know that if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. It's not like, oh, Blanca's going to forget or she's going to drop the ball. Like, I don't do that. And, so, and I think that that is a, a very strong testament is do what you say. What Do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, if they could just adopt that one small principle – They'll change the course of their career, life, uh, everything, because now you're setting the right expectations. You're um, not over-promising and under-delivering. Mm. You're doing the complete opposite. In essence, you're putting value in yourself, in my opinion, with that. Definitely. Well, I've been in sales for 20 years, and I i mean, obviously, it's a lot of experience, but I do pride myself in giving expectations to my clients, like true expectations, um, I don't ever like to embellish or over embellish or I'm like, I'm very straight up and I'm very transparent. And I think that's why a lot of clients appreciate me because I'm going to tell them the truth, like whether it's good or bad, or even if it's, if, if we may not be the best fit, because not all the time are we the best fit, 
Um, or, you know, and I'm going to be that person to tell you that. And so I think people appreciate that. I think it's refreshing for people to hear the truth. <laughs> and it reflects your value. I mean, yeah. I, I coach, <laughs> I, I coach and mentor this with the loan officers and the one topic that seems to come up more times than anything else in the mortgage industry is okay. setting the right expectations, okay. being honest, delivering bad news fast in the process, mm -hmm. not waiting because you've got people that are dependent upon these dates uh, moving forward. Most of them. Um, and the fear of what are they going to say? What are they going to think at this bad news? Well, number one, they're going to respect you for giving them the bad news instead of waiting. Things happen in life. And that is just one of the responsibilities that a rainmaker or a top producer or a shaker and a mover, so to speak, will grab by the horns and make the tough calls first, so to speak. Definitely. And I've made a lot of tough calls in my life. But you've made them, <laughs> a right? <lot>. Yes. <laughs> um, as tough as those are, I think that's a struggle for a lot of, of millennials, any generation, but mostly millennials to understand is being honest, setting those expectations and just going for it. Like, hey, oh my gosh, Band-Aid, rip it off. And then after you're done. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I started my industry about almost 10 years ago, and um, that's really what I think um, launched my my career now in my industry now is that I just like went for it. I had no idea what I was doing, zero. I'm just super confident in my abilities and my skills, and I just went for it, and I wasn't scared. And a lot of people let the fear of not knowing um, of not knowing every single little detail stop, it, stop them from executing, and I just... I don't have any fear. People know that I, very little things other than heights. Very little and things and you me. saying the fear of the details, mm -hmm. in my opinion, and you can attest to this or, or not, but the details is what we're supposed to find out as we go through as those. You, and that's how you learn. That's those lumps that's that we take learn, and yeah. we, we put them in the memory yeah. bank and we know, okay, whoa, I remember this the last time. I'm yep. not going to do that again or right. whatever the case, but those, that is the journey. It's a part yeah. of what we do. So talking about the journey, you've been in sales 20 years. Where, what are some of the sales jobs that you've had? Oh gosh. Um, so my first job was in retail clothing sales. Okay. Um, and it was kind of cool because even though it was my first job, it was a commission paid job. So okay. you kind of like, I learned about commission, like first job in, I learned about commission. So every sale I made, I earned commission. Yeah. You eat what you kill. Yeah. And so that was exciting, you know, to know that the more I work, the more I sold, the more money I made. And so from a very early age, I learned about how that worked. And so I loved it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I, um, so I did that. I've actually sold, um, electronics. I went into electronic sales. I worked for Best Buy and I worked for a couple other companies, um, and every single job that I've held from my first job to the job I have today, I've always been recognized. I've always won awards. I've been MVP, um, you know, the season of the year of the quarter, you know, I've been recognized for President's Club. I've been recognized for Top Producer. I've been recognized um, all kinds of different awards and accolades throughout my whole career. And so everybody already kind of knew about me. Sure. Um, I And that's your reputation that precedes you because of the hard work, the tenacity that you put in and the, I guess, fear of lack of fear or fear <laughs> of uh, being the best in well, whatever 
section you were selling, if that makes sense. Well, I would say it's fear of being average, right? There so you fear go. of being mediocre. I'm not a mediocre person. I'm not an average person. I want to be the best. I want to be number one. And right. so fear of not being number one is my fear. And, so, and, and I tell you what, I, I listen to a fear. lot of motivational speakers, um, a lot of um, kind of folks that have already been there. And and that is one of the things that stands out is it's okay to be fearful of not, of being average. Mm -hmm. It's okay. If that's what drives mm -hmm. you, that's all right. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. There's others that mm -hmm. say I'm driven because I want to prove them wrong. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with that either. Whatever drives you, I mean, use it, uh, uh, harness it and mm -hmm. turn it into where you are now, so mm -hmm. to speak. Recognition does drive me. Like, so that's why I love sales so much. Obviously the earning potential, but um, recognition. I like recognition. And, and at first, you know, I didn't even know that I was that good. Like I didn't realize like, wow, like I'm so good at this until it was like consistently, you know, getting recognized and doing better. And I kept getting raises. Like they would just keep giving me raises. Sure. And I'm like, wow, okay, fine. I'll take it. <laughs> Pat you on the head. I'm You're like, so pretty. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, fine. Okay. But you know, after so long, I was like, man, I'm really good at this. I'm like, I really am good at this. So then I, I realized that I found, you know, my calling, I found my home, like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed, this is my career, you know, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So once you kind of, you know, find that, and that's one of the purposes that I have in one of my callings, but it was enlightening and it was like, wow, like, you know, I'm naturally good This is where I'm supposed at, to yeah, be. Yeah, this is where I'm supposed to be. And this is where I feel more com most comfortable and this is my passion and this is what I enjoy doing. I love helping other people. And and, and that is what sales is about. And it's a consultative approach. It's a, it's a helping, uh, whether it's a, you know, a direct sale or indirect or your in, inside sales or outside sales or business to business. I mean, it, it is... A, a helping right of of the client of helping people so you so. talk about sales i want to hear some different ways that you've sold and and tell me some things some failures some successes mm -hmm. of you selling it it does not have to necessarily be in the current industry that you're yeah. in just in general um some experiences yeah. from you um, well, a couple of things. So my approach is a little bit different. I take a, a different approach as maybe a little bit more personable approach than most people. And because I do pay attention to detail, like I can kind of pick up things like naturally about people. Um, so I kind of know, and it has a lot to do with just psychology in itself of, of the client. And I think like, for example, mirroring, that's something that as a, a salesperson myself came natural to me. And I would say that mm -hmm. it came because of the life experiences and interactions that I've had throughout that I'm able to pick up on certain signals. Um, yeah. Somebody's leaning in. Okay, they, they, they're they engaged in the conversation. Somebody's got their arms crossed. <laughs> I probably need to tell a joke or something. Yeah. You know? Um, I would say number two would be also my presentation skills. I've been, I've been complimented like greatly by a lot of prospects, clients about my presentation, about that when I put a presentation on or proposal or whatever that sure. it's the best they've ever, ever seen. When you do those, what mm -hmm. are you focusing on? I actually go back and I read my notes. I take very good notes on clients. So okay. I go back, I read my notes and I, I focus on targeting exactly what the client told me they wanted. So because I, I focus on that, I don't try to like, you know, sell them or pitch them something that they never, that they don't want. And I think a lot of people waste time doing that. And it's like, wait a minute, I didn't even, I don't even want that. I didn't even tell you that. And we've heard this in another <laughs> episode. I'm going to bring it back. In order to be a great salesperson, 
Um, and I would even go as far as to say that just about every profession out there has some bit of sales. I don't care if you're in a doctor or an attorney. If you're trying to do your own thing, you've got to have some form of sales associated with that. But if you are focused on sales, you've got to be able to understand that the customer is right in front of you. And if you're not listening to what they have to say, you've probably already lost them. Because what you're about to spiel to them is something canned that you practiced Mm. over and over, maybe in the mirror or something like that, or you've read from your literature and Mm. pamphlet. You need to go based off of Mm. the customer and each one of it's going to be different. But the key there is listening. So in order to be a great salesperson, back (laughs) to that, you've got to be a great listener. You have to listen. Um, And I mean, I have a a different level of energy, I think, that I bring to. And so I bring the energy, I bring the listening, and then I hit their hot buttons, right? I hit all their buttons. I hit everything they told me to do. It's like, this is what you told me was wrong. Here's a solution. So it's a problem solving. Absolutely. So this is the problem. I'm offering you a solution to your problem. And sales essentially Mm -hmm. is that. You Mm -hmm. are putting the product, the service in front of them that they either need or don't know that they need yet. And it's your job to make them feel like they need it. Absolutely. So it's really an art. You know, I always, that people ask like, is art, is is sales an art or science? And, you know, how does it, and is it innate or can it be trained or learned? And I mean, I think it's a combination. Okay. uh, But the art form of the sales ability is almost like making your client fall in love to where you're really finessing and caressing them. And really like they feel so comfortable that they want to buy from you. Later in my career, I went through some types of sales training, memory training, things of that nature. But how about you? And I I think you not only have gone through it, but you've probably put some together knowing you. (laughs) Yes. So I've been through a lot of sales trainings in my life. And I we didn't finish, but I um, sold cars for about five years. Um, So I did car sales. That's a fun topic. We'll go back to that. And I did, you know, very heavy, heavy sales training during my car sales um, career. And um, I also worked at Enterprise. Enterprise, I don't know if they aren't, but used to be known to have one of the best sales trainings out there. And I believe still do. And right. And yep. I think so have too. To have a degree. Right. And there, exactly. And, and so, and it's a grind to work there. It's a hard job. Um, a lot of people don't realize that. And so is car sales. And so um, I've been through a lot. And so with all of the trainings that I've been through, all the sales books that I've read, uh, and all my experience, I then put together my own curriculum and my own sales trainings where I teach my best practices and how I've been successful. Um, and I actually have trained several people and I, I train mainly uh, women that I mentor. Okay. Um, and, you know, a couple people here and there that ask me, but it's not something that I do, like that's not my uh, career or anything correct, like that. Correct. I just do it because... I feel very passionate about giving back and I feel very passionate about helping others succeed. Um, I want to help other people that maybe don't know the things that I know or wish they knew that. Or So I want to I want to help others. And I have a lot of young women that reach out to me that ask me for help, that want to know, like, how did you become so successful? What can I do to get to your level? And so, you know, I put these sales training cor- courses together, but in a way, in a sense, it's almost like a blueprint of how to become Blanca Bood. And so I put that, those courses and curriculum So it's together. not something for me, right? <laughs> it's not. Honestly, I haven't trained any men. Okay. Um, I'm not because of, you know, gender bias or anything sure, sure. like that. I just... 
And uh, the training is more geared towards women. It makes uh, sense. Not that I can't train men because no, I can. But, and I don't think you really have to explain yeah. that much. I mean, <laughs> to be honest, it, it makes sense. Yeah. I, it'd be tough for me to train mm-hmm. a female yeah. the same way that I train a male. Exactly. That's just being honest. And don't but cancel if, my <laughs> podcast because I said that, okay? But if a guy wants to learn how to be like Blanca Abood, <laughs> hey, hey. I, I will totally train That's them. That's awesome. <laughs> so before I get into the next thing, you, you had mentioned Enterprise. And I know my guys over in the Bernie Enterprise, um, they listen to the podcast. So shout out to you guys. Thanks for tuning in. Um, (laughs) But I I wanted to go back to the car sales thing. Yeah. Um, I also sold cars uh, temporarily and then moved into the finance department. But Mm -hmm. when anybody asks me um, how you fine tune your sales uh, abilities and tactics and trade, things of that nature... I refer back to car sales. And the mm-hmm. reason being is because it was face-to-face selling and it was 100% utilizing what you had at the moment, mm-hmm. which is the customer, mm-hmm. literally, and what they're trying to accomplish right in front of you. So it was the best raw person-to-person sales. Uh, you're thrown into situations right now where you've got to make a decision um, on how you're going to sell that customer also keeping your values and, and things of that nature in the back of your mind um, to not be seen as a crook or or, or a, mm-hmm. a, a, a car yeah. salesman, so to speak. Yeah, I think car sales, um, people have a bad rap. Agree. That's it. I mean, that's literally it. I mean, maybe a couple people ruined it for everybody. And I but, agree with that. Yeah. But that's not the case. And, and again, Your credit ruined it for everybody. Yeah, I, That's exactly. what it boils down to. You're in those lots because of yeah. the credit. And unfortunately, yeah. you've got to get through that sometime. And then by all means, the goal is to get that back up so that you can then maybe jump into car dealerships like Mark Motors and Bernie. Yeah. Hmm? Another yeah. shout out. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. No, go give your shout outs. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So I learned um, a lot of my negotiation skills and closing skills in car sales. And I think that I am as good as I am now because of that experience. I would never take it back. Um, it is a grind. It is definitely a hard job. It, it takes a lot of hours. I mean, you give up your personal life and a lot of times your family to do that job. Um so I, I don't like that that industry has a bad rep. Like it should not be that, that way. It should not be that way. It's actually a very reputable career. It's a very reputable way to earn a living if you do it the right way, you know. And and like you said, and if you have integrity and morals, and you really want what's best for your customer. And um, when I was in car sales, I actually sold a lot more to women. Um, you know, it, it, a lot of people would say, oh, I'm sure you probably sell to all these guys. And I'm like, no, actually, I would sell to more women because they feel more comfortable with me uh, having a woman approach them when buying a car because buying a car can be a little bit of a high-intensity, you know, sale. And it's a big purchase as well. It's not a little purchase, right? Buying a car, buying a home, those are big purchases. Two of the biggest purchases, absolutely. So it could be... um, intimidating. So for a woman buying a car by herself, you know, they would, they feel more comfortable talking to another woman. So I, I, a big part of my clientele was women. Um, and then of course, referral business after that. But, uh, one of the reasons why I was really good in car sales is because my presentation, Absolutely. my presentation was on point. Around. I did, did my walk, walk around. around? Yes. And nobody awesome. does the walk around anymore. You are correct. The walk around. I, my walk around was on point. I used to study the walk around. I used to walk around my couch That's and awesome. study the walk around. And I even entered walk around competitions and I won second place in a walk around competition in national and with judges. Yes, I did. That is yes, awesome. I did. And I won second place to like a guy that had been 
selling cars for 20 years. So, so in <laughs> these days, the walk around is probably almost non-existent yeah. because everything's online. Mine, yeah. Yes. Um, and I bet the person that you see on social media doing the walking arounds is probably selling more because probably. he's putting himself out there. Who yeah. Knows? And not only that, like you have to really know about your product. So uh, product knowledge is another reason why I've been successful. You know, I do take pride in knowing my product and studying my product and and being knowledgeable. So a lot of people come to me because they know that I know my stuff. Like I know my product. And every single job that I've been in, like I have been, I you know, there is a gender bias in sales because it is male dominated. They think, oh, well, she's not going to know about this car because she's the female or she's not going to know about this TV or whatever sure. you're selling. Um, but then when you come in and actually, you know, the guy consultant is asking you questions yeah. and you're the knowledgeable one. They're like, oh, wait a minute. So, you know, it, it's really having to prove yourself really. And that's why it's different for men and for women in sales, because for a woman, it is, it's different. You do and have and to, I, would, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. I do think that the difference may work to the advantage of both sides, vice versa sometimes. Um, but that being said, I, I wanted to ask specifically you being, you Coming from the car sales industry, what was it like being a female, not from the perspective of uh, who you're selling to, but you yourself being in, let's call it the lion's den with all the other salesmen, mm-hmm. what was that like? Was Did you get a lot of bias? Was How did you push through that? Did, oh, no. Um, did well, you just shake them haters off? <laughs> <laughs> well, I sure did. Um, I worked in different dealerships. I think the first dealership that I worked at, I, I, I was one of the guys, so okay. it was not... A big deal, but I worked at a more traditional old school dealership with older generational sales guys. And that one was hard okay. because I am a millennial. So that, that dealership was hard and it was not a good fit for me. It was not, but with you know, other, I'm, I'm one of the guys, even my guy friends are like, Oh no, Blanca's one of the guys. Like she can, she yeah. can hang. Trust yeah. me, she can hang. She can hang. She's good. So I no, I hang with the best of them. So That's it was awesome. not a big deal. It did not phase me at all. Like no big deal. No, really like <laughs> yeah, that. They, actually they were like, Whoa, what's going on? They're like, I was the lion. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So you, you had mentioned, um, helping others and, by way of mentoring and coaching and things mm-hmm. of that nature. And that's obviously not what you get paid for to do. Um, I will attest as well that at a certain level in our career, and I don't, it doesn't matter which career path, if it has to do with sales, I think everybody tends to come to the crossroads of, do I just go maximum produce and only worry about myself or do I start sharing what I know with others to create either a residual or to get that great feeling out of it Mm -hmm. and essentially show someone how to do it and then standing back, watching them do it and then seeing them accomplish it. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely the great feeling. And I have one of my mentees that is doing so good. I'm so proud of her. And she's just like, you know, thanks me for being part of that. And just knowing that I was part of that success and how well she's doing, um, it makes me so happy. And I also learn from mentoring. I learn for myself. I learn things about myself and I kind of put myself through school because sometimes you have to get back to the basics. So it helps me get back to the basics in my career and, you know, think about when I first started and, and, and not only that in sales, sometimes you forget the basics and you can't forget the basics because that's the foundation. That's very true. And, and, and I can't even say it's a broken record or, um, something that is uh, played out. 
going back to the basics mm-hmm. is it's something <laughs> that I find myself saying to the loan Your officers, to true. myself, probably once a quarter. Like, all right, true. things got crazy. Let's go back to the basics. And yeah. it it works every time. Oh, for sure. So I don't think that that's something that will ever go out of style, whether mm-hmm. you are a uh, Gen X, Gen Y, millennial, it doesn't matter. Mm-mm. Basics is what got you here. If you ever get lost, find your butt back to those basics. For sure. You know? Oh, without a doubt. So that's pretty cool. It's eye-opening. Very much so. (laughs) Very much so. So you being um, VP of sales Mm -hmm. at Engage Mm -hmm. uh, PEO. Yes. Rising through the ranks, did you start off as sales um, rep and then work your way up. And I mean, take me through that because I want people to know that there wasn't some secret pill that you took mm-hmm. or something that got you to where you were at with the level of success, accolades, and um, uh, you. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I started, like I said, so I'm, I'm going into my 10th year in my industry. Okay. So um, obviously year one, year two, nobody really knew who I was uh, in the industry. I did very well year one. I think year two is when people started kind of knowing my name. Um, but and it, why? Why? Um, just my sales, my okay. sales production. So I've always been a top producer. Um, to even get to the amount of sales that I got in year one is is not common. Most people don't even last in my industry year one. That kind of weeds out the people that are going to last or not last. And I would I would go as far as to say that's the same in any industry regarding sales. Again, for the first year to two years. Even, yeah. Oh, right? without a doubt. It weeds out the people that are going to last and and really put in the work and, and be patient, you know, because it's not an overnight thing. You have to build your book of business. You have to build that clientele and build your knowledge. And, and so it takes time. It takes time and people are not willing to put in that time that it takes. They want, they want fast results. They want to see that money right away coming in. And it's just, it doesn't work like that. Um, I think really what launched my name and, and really got uh, me to where I am today is the social media that I started doing. Okay. And, and that really is what happened. So I started creating video content about five or six years ago when video content was not a thing. Yeah. Um. Now everybody wants to do video content and they're, you know, have all kinds of graphics and social media marketing. And, but I started it. I wouldn't say I'm the pioneer, but I would say I was one of the in pioneers industry, in my industry. Absolutely. Yes. I can. Without a doubt confidently say I was one of the pioneers in my industry in 2012 to Mm -hmm. utilize social media to leverage for the home purchase, mortgage, uh, real estate, but more so mortgage, because unfortunately, guys, mortgage isn't sexy. (laughs) You don't like (laughs) scrolling through social media and going, uh, there's another mortgage ad. Uh, (laughs) Here's another, have any questions? Ask a mortgage. That's just not something that people seek out. You know, versus our PEO. Uh, it's not something that people are concept. like, I'm going to go get a PEO to You're help right. me run my business. And so, and most people don't even know what that is. Even, you know, to this day in in the year that we're in, a lot of people don't know about it. It's not um, an industry that is very well known. So I did take the industry to another level and I did pioneer the industry and being a female in the industry as well. So um, I that really got my name out there and to the point where, I was being recognized, you know, even just in the grocery store, walking sure. around. People would be like, oh, you're Blanca Bood from LinkedIn. I watch your videos. I know who you are. That's awesome. And so that's when I was like, okay, something's going on. And, well, and, and, and I think for someone like yourself um, and others that I've had on the show, they may see that and think that they already made it. Whereas you and others 
said, okay, this is working. Let me do more. Oh, without a doubt. Right? Yeah. It was working and it it is, you know, to a point where I would say half of my business does come from social media, um, different platforms that I have. Okay. And I, my approach though in the social media is more of an educational approach where I really try to educate the client. So I try to educate my audience where I'm not like, hey, buy this sure. like now. <laughs> Um, and I think knowing your audience mm-hmm. has a lot to do with the fact that it's education. Number one, you love to educate. I would go as far as to say is the same reason I do, um, because we like to be right. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> and like to be heard and talk. <laughs> and talk, right? No, but we get a feeling from educating others because we are the expert. I believe in order for you to be a great sales anything, you need to be the expert in your industry, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. If you're selling popcorn, you know every damn popcorn there is out there, whatever it is. And then the second thing is you have to believe in your product. You have to believe in yourself to sell that product because it should be a benefit to that consumer. And at a certain level, you then believe in yourself and you're like, Mm -hmm. okay, let's see how far I can take this. Right. I think mine was a little bit backwards because I believe I believed in myself first before <laughs> before I even knew what I was selling or my product. But um, and it just has to do with confidence, you know, confidence yes. and being confident. Um, I am running a campaign and I started launch. I launched a campaign in January that is called Hire an Expert. And that is uh, a lot of my ads right now that are being that are running out there are hire an expert okay. hire, and hire a local expert, sure. right? Cause I want to have that like local feel of like, Hey, I live here in central. I live here in Texas because Texas is my market, but hiring somebody that's local, not somebody, you know, that you don't know or on a 1-800 number or whatever, hiring somebody local, hiring an expert that knows what they're talking about, that has experience, that is knowledgeable. Um, and that's really the, the, message that I want to put out there. It's a great message. Like hire an expert. (laughs) I mean, and it fits for what you're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I think that's, that's fantastic. I mean, you you hit your niche, (laughs) you owned your niche and now you're shining at what you do. Um, and, and it's obvious as to why you got here from my perspective, but I want to talk about some needle moving activities. Okay. I use, uh, needle moving activities as a, If you're not succeeding at anything, what are you doing or what are you not doing? For me, in order to succeed, I've got to do needle moving activities. And those may be making phone calls. They may be setting up meetings for certain people. What are those needle moving Mm -hmm. activities look like for you in your industry? Right. So I try to uh, spend little time on... um, Resolving client issues, right? Because there's still a lot of times where you're kind of like get stuck on taking care of the clients and putting out those fires, which happen a Mm -hmm. lot. Um, But then that can distract you from making those what you call needle moving. I call it uh, sales activities or revenue activities. Income generating. Income generating activities versus, you know, non-income or non-new production, new sales. Correct. Um, so a lot of the times, a lot of the things that I do is just, you know, following up on maybe deals that uh, did not come through the year before. Now, um, I, I do market a lot to my current client base because a lot of my business does come from referrals sure. from my current clients. So I spend a lot of time doing that, building relationships with my clients or building relationships with other influential people within the community. Um, that could be a source of doing it, obviously. Um, social media is another area where I spend time, but I still spend time cold calling. I still spend time, what we call canvassing in my industry because I am business to business. So I'm out in the field. I knock on doors. I pull doors. That's what we do. 
I do want to point out a couple of things because you mentioned about Engage and how I got to VP. So obviously my experience, my accolades, awards, um, and then just getting known in the industry and, and putting my name yeah. and really branding my name, right, as Blanca Abud. Um, But the company that I work for today is a little bit different because they don't hire entry-level people. They okay. only hire the best. Sure. So I'm not um, a consultant in the sense that we are given a market to to manage. And so that's why you are a vice president of that market. And you really are able, you're given autonomy, you're giving a certain amount of authority and and certain amount of being able to do certain things that you wouldn't, and if you were entry level and you wouldn't know what you're doing. So, so my, the owner of my company, my boss, my CEO, Jay, which I love him so much, um, he really has built a different type of company. And that's why I'm so happy working here because this is a sales company. This is a true sales culture company. This is not a service company. We're a sales company. Like, no, I agree. And we're treated like professionals because we are experienced professionals. We're highly skilled, trained, and we have a lot of experience. So we're not, in essence, I'm not competing with you know, a lot of times I'm used to being more in the top of the charts, like number one, at least two or three. But, you know, I have to now compete with other very highly skilled um, consultants and VPs from all over the U.S. Sure. Um, and some are in bigger markets than me. So it was a kind of a step back to where like, wait a minute, I ended number seven, which I just recently made um, CEO club, which is president's club in my company. Congratulations. For Thank you. I was just recognized. I ended number seven. But to me, number seven is like, like, oh my gosh, it's, and I was, you know, I should be higher. I should be the top five. But then I have to understand, like, I'm competing against the best of the best. That's exactly you right. And, and one of the things. And all over I've, the U.S. I've so. mentioned it on a couple episodes, but I'm going to continue to epi- uh, mention the things that stick and should stick with you guys. I keep a brass number two on my desk. And as soon as we get done here, I'll show you. Okay. I'm legit. I want to see it. <laughs> um, I've had this thing for eight years sitting on my desk, no matter where my desk was, um, And it is a reminder that there's always someone better than you. No matter how good you think you are, there's always someone better. (laughs) And and some people can see that as um, discouraging or others can see it as I'm going to keep chasing Mm -hmm. uh, that best person because no matter what, I'll never be the best, but at least I can strive to be the best, if that makes sense. Oh, without a doubt. Um, It's like the Matthew McConaughey speech when he's talking about I'm chasing my me 10 years from now. I'm never going to catch up to them, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean I'm going to stop chasing. Right. Right. Definitely. Um, And then there's another thing that I wanted to mention uh, that you had talked about a moment ago about your social media. Mm -hmm. And I can attest because I too used social media to grow the the original business that we Mm -hmm. did, which was mortgage. And I will tell you by utilizing social media only and not backing up what you do, it will not work. Uh, meaning if you're not putting in the legwork, the footwork to make the calls, to close the deals, to show people the way behind the scenes of social media, the facade that you provide on the outlet is going to be very short-lived. And mm-hmm. I will tell you that, and I've seen it many times, and you probably can go through your social media and remember that person that started posting about car sales or started posting about mortgages or real estate. And six months later, it was gone. Why? Because they gave up. Uh, or they, they changed they, industries and then now they're doing something right. else. That's my point is they yeah. got into this, mm-hmm. whatever industry sales related, mm-hmm. saw some video about how social media can uh, make it easy for you to get sales. Okay. And they used that one uh, funnel for right. their business and it didn't work. And they were yeah. like, eh, I guess it doesn't work. 
No, well, you don't work. <laughs> well, yeah. And also then they're not doing the basics, right? And the basics is the footwork, is the making calls. I mean, I pulled so many doors and made, I used to make a hundred calls a day when I was in year one, year two. That's what and I want to get like, to. I'm yes. like, I did yes. the work and I still do the work. You know, I still do that work. And I actually make, one of my trainings is called prospecting full circle and the full circle and all the quadrants that go into that circle. Social media is just one piece. And that's what, the, these are the things that I want to hear because I, I'll be straight honest as I always am and transparent. You see your articles, you see your content, all of those things. And you're going, me, onlooker, I'm like, wow, beautiful, well-spoken, carries herself well. Sounds like she knows what she's talking about. I wonder if she just shows up and that's what happens. That's what people think. Yeah, no, They don't I know wish. behind the scenes of what <laughs> it takes. When is that going to happen? <laughs> they don't see the sleepless nights. They don't see yeah. you juggling your kids and, and, and understanding that you too are trying to work this balance of life as yeah. well, you know? Yes. So yeah, keep, keep going. Keep going. There's plenty more. Keep it, <laughs> keep it coming. This is good stuff. Yeah. So, um, and that is one of the things that I teach. I like that you said that because a lot of people do look at my social media and they're like, oh my gosh, I want to be just like you. Da, da, da. And I'm like, okay, well, let's get to the basics and right. let's start. And number one, you don't start in the social media world. And so when I do mentor somebody, I do take them through a series of steps. And if they do not accomplish those steps, then I stop mentoring them because I'm doing this for free on my own time. And if you're not going to take your life and your career seriously, I'm not going to take it seriously either. So I put them through a series of tests and a and series of things that they have to accomplish and tasks that they have to complete. And if they do not complete those in a timely manner, they're out of my program. Sure. Like, bye, you're done. And, like, and I think <laughs> the, the big thing of that is millennials, and this is predominantly millennials, be honest with yourself about where you want to be, um, especially if you're seeking out advice from someone that's been there, which should be the only advice that you should be taking. Um, I, I don't advise anybody to take advice from, don't take uh, uh, um, sales advice from somebody that's never been in sales. Don't take investment advice from somebody that has less than you. It's just kind of mm. one of those things that how do you know? Why are you giving me the advice when you have not done it yourself? Oh, well, I read it in a book. Okay, now go apply it. Apply it and fail so that you can tell me about your trials and tribulations and then also tell me if you continued after that. Uh, I, I, I kind of re relay it to flipping properties. Mm -hmm. You can be a first time flipper, go out, purchase a home um, and lose $10,000 on the whole shebang, right? Some people can see that as I lost 10 grand or others can see that as, wow, it cost me 10 grand to learn how to flip a house. I mean, that has to do with the parenting. That has to do with their parenting also. I mean, again, not everybody's going to be as driven and focused and want to go to school and do those things. So it has to do with the parenting. I mean, my daughter is junior in high school and she knows she she doesn't have a choice. Like she's going to go to school and she's our, she's 16. She just got her first two jobs. So go baby. Awesome. She just got her first two jobs because she wants to work. She wants to make her own money. She's in high school already wanting to get, you know, a job and not only got one, but got two. And I'm like, why did you get two? <laughs> 
doesn't fall too far from <laughs> yeah. the tree. Maybe. Oh, why did you get two jobs, not one? But I'm like, fine, whatever, do it. If you think you can do it and still keep your grades up, do it. You and know? that was the important thing. Keep your grades yeah. up because it's Always. possible to do both. Yes. You oh know? yeah, for sure. Very possible. Uh, I think, and, and you hit it on the head. I think it has a lot to do with parenting. Like what are these parents doing? <laughs> exactly. You look at statistics, <laughs> like, you, you look at the masses that are uh, talking down on millennials, but at the same time, I mean, there was a quote, it's like, um, you guys think millennials are this, but guess what? You raised us. Right. At the end of the day, the generation prior to them raised them a certain way and it's a trickle down effect. And I think if we as millennial entrepreneurs, shakers and movers, uh, inspirational speakers, so to speak, can enlighten people that it's you and me that are setting the stage for the next generation to come. And if we are going to participation metal them, we are going to coddle, we are going to hide the truth, then it's going to be another cyclical thing. Would you agree with that? Oh, without a doubt. Yes, for sure. I, I mean, it, it, like we could, we talked about my upbringing. So yeah. I would say that I'm different in a lot of ways, right? Then I'm different. I really right. <laughs> right, cut from a different cloth or whatever people sure. want to say. And that's true. And not everybody's like that. And that's where the entrepreneurs and the top 10% and all those people come from. But yeah, parenting, I mean, is, is very important in how you developed your kids and, and what you teach them and what morals and values you teach them. And it's, they see everything you do and, you know, the example. And my daughter was there, you know, when she saw her mom struggling, she saw all of those things. She knows you know, that we went from a one bedroom apartment to where we live today. I mean, she saw the whole journey and she tells me and it, you know, it's it's such a proud mom moment to be like, mom, I know how hard you work. I know what you do. And, you know, and she's like, and I know how happy you are and how much you love what you do. And she's like, I want to do what you do. What, you know, and has helped me in my business and even put on a resume that she's been my assistant when she truly has been my sure. assistant. Um, You know, as, as, as soon as she learned how to make coffee, I taught her how to make coffee. <laughs> That was the best thing I could have done. That's awesome. <laughs> that was the best thing ever. So now my son's four, so I'm trying to teach him how to make coffee. Yeah, there you go. Start him young. Hey, start, start him, him young. Up. Incentivize. Get my coffee ready. That's, right. That's all I need. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, is there anything else that you would like to add? I mean, I think this has been a, a fantastic episode. We've gotten plenty of nuggets out of it uh, for the millennial demographic, especially knowing what PEO stands for yes. um, and what it entails, because I know there's plenty of people that hear it, PEO, um, and have no clue what it is or if it's even necessary for their business or future business. Right. Um, we've also discovered that through your passion, um, you've soared in, in sales, <laughs> regardless of, of the adversity that you've gone through. Um, and the reason you've soared is because hard work. Hard work Thank is you. what you were raised on and hard work is what you know to be true. Now, fine tuning, um, getting uh, the rough edges to be shiny, all that good stuff comes through the journey, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, and you can do that through personal learning or you can go, like you had mentioned, institutional learning. Mm -hmm. Whatever fits for you, different strokes for different folks, so to speak. Right. Um, but is there anything else that you wanted to add to close with? Well, I guess I would just want to say, um, don't be scared, you know, to, and believe in yourself. Cause a lot of people see my confidence and like, you're so confident. I'm like, but you can be confident too. Like, and you can do it too. So don't be scared. Be confident in yourself and your abilities that you have. And I think also a lot of people fail to 
recognize their innate abilities and build on those. Like everybody's good and talented in certain areas. So recognize what it is that you're good and talented at or what you're passionate at and build on that. Don't try to be somebody that you're not. Don't try to go into sales just because, oh, you heard that's what you should be doing. You may not be good at sales. You may be good at something else. So try to be more self-aware and learn more about yourself so that that I think will also help people be successful. I love that. that. I love that. I mean, I want to add something to it. Sorry. (laughs) Um, So being confident, people tend to get confused with cockiness. And then there's another word that, and it's a powerful word word that comes into play when you're dealing with these two things, and it's called humble. I knew you were going to okay? say that word. And I, yes. I, I believe in this mm-hmm. theory. Uh, I heard it a while back. It was probably on a podcast, and, and I adopted it. Okay. Don't ever let your humble get in the way of your confidence. Okay? And, and, and I'll let that just kind of resonate for you guys. But don't ever let your humble get in the way of your confidence. Okay? Didn't say cockiness at all, because I think at this level, cocky is a mannerism. Cocky is a, I don't know. It, cocky is just a different kind of person, in my opinion. Confidence is something that you should be able to exude because you are the expert and you believe in yourself and you believe in your product and, and you believe in what you're mm-hmm. trying to educate others right. uh, to get to. The humble piece that's a tough one for most because it's hard. What what does somebody view as humble? I post a picture of my new vehicle. Am I not being humble? Why is it that you can do it, but I can't? Because yours is a Toyota Corolla and mine's a Tesla? Do you get yeah. what I'm saying? It, it comes into play. Well, it depends it, what circle you run with because I don't know agreed. if that would not be humble. <laughs> I agree. what circle you're in, right? So, so that's what I mean by don't let your humble get in the yeah. way of your confidence. Yes, for sure. Do your thing. And I think your message here is do your thing do with thing. confidence. Yes. Okay? Be the best. Do what you love. There, with confidence. With confidence. <laughs> do what you love with like confidence. Like Blanca. Boom. Thank you. (laughs) Guys, thank you for tuning in. If you like this content, uh, please share with a friend, somebody that may benefit from this. Um, We appreciate you, Blanca, for joining. Thank you for Um, having me. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you. Bye.